Shannon Fiedler. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm good. What are you up to this weekend? Let's see. This weekend was a bit of a rest weekend for me. Last week was pretty busy, but Friday night did make it to the semifinals of the Men's US Open, which was so much fun. Yeah, it was a crazy match. Are you into tennis? Did you play tennis? I mean, like I play recreationally, I, you know, like I'll go with my dad or my fiance when we're like at my parents' house. Cause there's tennis courts, like they're not in a city. So like you can go drive to play tennis easily enough. And, um, I really enjoy it, but I'm by no means, like I never played competitively or anything. Um, but I really love watching it and, you know, being in New York, the U S open is right there. So have you ever been? Never been. Oh my God. You have to go. It's so much fun. It's yeah. such a fun event. Yeah. Such a good time. I've never played tennis either. Really? No, never. It looks cool. I would love to get into it and learn how to play. I hope that I have the hand-eye coordination to do it though. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. It's fun. It's, um, it's a good time. I really like it. Well, speaking of competitive sports, fun fact is that you're a competitive, we're a competitive figure skater. That is true. That's so interesting. It's a very, um, it's a unique experience. I will tell you that. And I loved it. I think, you know, a lot of times I think when you hear people are sort of at that like elite level at a young age in a sport, especially solo sport, one that you don't get to do through your school, you often imagine these sort of like dance moms experiences, right? Where it's like kids who maybe don't want to do it. and there's nothing I loved more than figure skating. So I had a really good experience with it, but it was definitely, um, it was a lot. It was a lot, but I really liked it. Younger you, what drew you into figure skating in the first place? So my dad played hockey, like in high school. Um, and my grandfather was actually a really successful speed skater. And so ice was just sort of like in my blood, I guess. Um, And when I was little, my dad used to take me to the rink and sort of skate me around. I'd go like my grandpa, my dad, and I, I really loved it. And they put me into figure skating lessons early. And I think, you know, obviously you're a little kid, you do a lot of things. Like I I played Mm -hmm. soccer too. And I was in dance class and I, you know, did theater and, you know, you kind of try it. I took tennis lessons. You try everything when you're little. Um, And I think the reason that figure skating just kind of stuck was it was sort of this perfect hybrid of athleticism and performance. And that is, I mean, right down to the scoring. If you've ever watched an Olympic figure skating um, competition, you know, you get two scores. You get your um, technical score, which is the jumps, the spins, different footwork. um, And then you also get a performance score. And I've been a performer since the day I was born. I think like, you know, I, my mom always says I've never met a spotlight I didn't like. And I think, I think there was something, there's such an artistry and you have to tell a story through a figure skating program. You have to, you know, there's emotion and dance and elegance as well as, I mean, it is a, it is a physically challenging sport. I mean, it is hard and it's exhausting. I mean, the stamina alone, it's a, it's basically if you're, you know, at the top of your game, it's like a five minute sprint because you don't get to stop to breathe during your program. And it's jump after spin after jump. Um, It's also 
mentally rigorous. And I think that was the hardest part for me. Um, it is a sport where you cannot make a mistake. There is, there is no room for error. And I know that's true of, of all sports, right? You never want to make a mistake, but if you miss a shot on goal in a soccer game, that doesn't take away points. And every fall, every fumble, every, you know, you didn't do, you didn't spin enough times in one position deducts points and you get one shot at everything and you're out there by yourself on the ice. It's really nerve wracking. I, I imagine it's similar to like, um, I mean, gymnastics obviously is very similar, but like a baseball player going up to bat, you get one shot. All eyes on you kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's also not cumulative. So like when you're, you know, you do all these competitions throughout the season to get practice in, to see, you know, obviously to get practice competing, also to see like how your program is stacking up, to see who your main competitors are. But it's not like in some sports where, you know, they take your whole season as an aggregate and they say like, okay, these people are making it to the playoffs. There's one competition at the end of the season, regionals. And even if you've won every competition this year, if you have a bad skate at regionals and you come in fifth, you don't qualify for sectionals. And so it's very, um, it's just, it's really crazy. And there's the other thing about figure skating is there's not much space, right? Like it's not, there aren't a bunch of teams, like, and I know that's true of any professional sport. You know, there's, there's more people who are talented and want to be professional athletes than there are slots, of course. But with figure skating, there's really three slots. There's only three ways to be successful and to go to worlds is to be one of the top three in the country, which is a hard thing to do. <laughs> I want to ask you more about figure skating, the art of figure skating and how competitive you were when you were younger. But first, let me knock out this intro real quick. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Stay for the Stories podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Elijah. Joining me today, competitive figure skater, musician, Disney World fan, dancer, copywriter, New Yorker, podcaster, comedian, content creator, Shannon Fiedler. <laughs> That's me. You do a lot of stuff. I do a lot of stuff. I was born in Connecticut. I feel like I... I don't get that New York City badge, uh, totally. Wow. But I've been in New York for a lot, long time. Interesting. Did you travel a lot as a competitive figure skater? Or was it pretty local, regional? Pretty regionally, uh, but a lot throughout that. So figure skating is sort of delineated into regions. And I was in the New England region, but spent a decent amount of time also competing within the North Atlantic region, just because being in Connecticut, you're, you're close to New York, that area as well. Um, but a lot of like Boston, Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire, one, and then like Delaware, New York, New Jersey, a little bit as well. Um, and Connecticut. What was the hardest thing about figure skating? It's a great question. I, you know, I, I do think the mental component of figure skating is, it's just so hard. And it's funny because I was even saying this just the other day to my dad, um, that the, you know, I think people think when you get on stage for stand up, it must be really nerve wracking. And like, you know, I've been on stage as a performer my whole life. Mm -hmm. Nothing will compare to that feeling of nerves of taking the ice for competition. That to me, 
because again, it, it's that sort of one shot thing and it's a competition. So you, I'm a competitive person. So you like, you win or you don't. Um, and you can really mess up in figure skating. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can bomb doing stand up. It's part of the, it's like part of being a stand up comedian is bombing. You can't, you can't get away without bombing sometimes, but, um, to go out and to do a jump and to miss that jump and to fall on your ass and just like the middle of the ice in front of all these people and then have to pick it up and do four more minutes of a program is, and, and then once you fall once you're in your head, cause you're like, well, I didn't skate clean. That's what it's called. If you, you do it perfectly. And so you're like, all right, well, if I fall one more time, then I'm, I'm done. I don't stand a shot at placing at all. And so it's just like this mental game. And I would get, I think at the end, that was the hardest part for me was um, getting out of my own head and, and just being able to trust that I could do it, that I had the skills that I, I mean, I practiced every day, three to four hours a day, an hour before school, two hours after school, hour of office training twice a week. I mean, I was like 16 years old going to bed at like 930 because I had practiced at like 5 a.m. Um, so, I mean, like I was definitely prepared and, and practiced and uh, good at what I did, but it's just the, the nerves were, were tough. What was your greatest trick, move? Yeah. What would you call so, it? So I guess you'd call it like either a jump or spin um, or a move, I guess. It's funny, people always say, tricks but we never use that word within the sport um i was working on a couple of my triple jumps by the time i decided to step away and i mm. i always say that was the worst breakup i ever had was leaving figure skating it was i i can't remember a time i cried as hard as i did but it sort of got to this point where if i wanted to continue competing at the level i was competing at I would have had to have been homeschooled. I would have had to have given up everything else I was doing, probably would have had to move away. Um, and we actually had already moved once. I'm an only child. So my, I had a lot of leniency, but my parents, we moved to a different part of Connecticut when I was in middle school, which was when I started to get serious to be near the rink with the better coaches and the better training and the better options for me. And so basically it was like, am I going to put all of my eggs in this basket of being a figure skater? I roll my ankle, I'm done. Or just, I mean, there were so many, so many talented girls that I was skating with, like, you know, maybe I just wasn't going to make it, but was I going to put all my eggs in this Olympic dream? Or was I going to, to step aside and focus on school and, and a social life, honestly? And um, theater was something else I did. And I did, you know, I made the decision that figure skating while I loved it more than anything, truly, it just, it didn't, it wasn't a smart decision to make. And so I like, we decided after a really tough competition, and it was sort of like, a family decision, like my parents are so supportive of me and everything that I've done. I feel very lucky for that. Um, but we sat down and we talked with my coach and all this stuff. And it was just sort of like, you know, we, we made the choice to, to move on after the end of that season. And I just, I just remember crying all the way. We were at a competition in Pennsylvania and I just remember sitting in the back of the car, just sobbing for like that six, seven hour drive back to Connecticut and my poor parents in the front, like not knowing what to do or what to say and just trying to cons 
console me. And I was like, wanted nothing to, I just wanted to be sad, um, which I think we can all relate to. It's a hard life for a competitive athlete, for sure. Especially when you have that kind of relationship with sports and love what you do. And then at some point you got to hang up the skates or hang up the cleats or hang up the shoes or you name it. It's a tough time. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard moment. And then you sort of feel like, I don't know. I, maybe you felt this way. I I felt like a big part of my identity was then gone. So much of my Mm. life was going to the rink and so much of, I was the figure skater. Like that was, and I obviously like, I always did other things, but, um, I just, I remember feeling a little bit like, well, who am I now? Like, what do I, what do I do now if I don't figure skate? So that was also a weird, and you know, it's funny because now it, it feels so long ago, um, like over 10 years now that I quit, but, um, cause figure skating is also like at like 19, you're kind of like old for the sport. It's definitely like a gymnastics. It's a sport where you sort of peak young. Um, I would say like 17 to 26 is like that sweet spot of, so I don't know. It just, I remember it being just like this cataclysmic shift in my understanding of myself. Um, but I, I, I owe, I would say that I owe a lot of who I am and a lot of the skills that I have to figure skating. And so I, I have no regrets. I never look back and be like, Oh, I wish I didn't waste so much time. at like, and not a moment of that was wasted to me. I, I think it is so foundational to who I became as a person and I'm still becoming. Being a competitive athlete, like a highly competitive athlete, training, going to tournaments, when you're in that kind of atmosphere, it teaches you a lot, especially at a young age. You learn totally. a lot at growing up that way. Similar to you, 16, 17 years, right? When you were competing? Yeah, high school. High school is like, okay, at the end of the season, we made playoffs, but didn't make like to the state championship. Right. And so that's it. Like, What's next? Right who am I? What do I do? What am I going to do? It's a weird moment. It's a, it's a pivotal Mm -hmm. point. So at the time you mentioned you were also doing theater. So was that what was next for you? Pretty much. I mean, I think I, uh, so I, I guess I quit skating my junior year of high school and, um, I was always like a super overachiever kind of kid my whole Mm -hmm. life and you know always did a million things and I think my senior year of high school uh I still I was like a super nerd too like I loved school and I loved studying and I was a nerd about that but I think my senior year of high school I was like this is a year for me to like have fun and just hang out with my friends and, and go to parties and you know I had a car and I went to boarding school so like that was a whole other element I didn't live at school but a lot of my friends did and Um, so my, I just kind of like had a year of working really hard academically and then like, I was going to do the musical and then I dropped out and I was just like, I'm going to do something more fun. And like, I, I really also don't regret any of that. I had a great time. And then I went to college, uh, at Middlebury, which is in Vermont. It's like a liberal arts school with the intention of studying English with a focus in writing, which I did. Um, and I thought I was going to minor in Spanish. Um, and then my freshman year, and I had always been an actress. I was a child actress, like professionally, but then also like did musicals throughout my whole life and in school. And like when I was little. Wait, so like movies, TV shows, (laughs) commercials, like very small. Yeah. 
Yeah. Nice. Nothing huge. Um, small parts, but like, you know, we lived so close to New York and again, being an only child, it was easy for my parents to bring me in and I really enjoyed it. Um, and then that went by the wayside when figure skating picked up because it was like, there was no time for it. Figure skating was everything. So I didn't have time to audition. Um, and so my, my freshman year of college, I audition. I took like acting one or something and I auditioned. I was like, it might just be fun to audition for the plays. I, who knows? And this was like the second semester of my freshman year. And I got cast in a play and I was like, wow, I, I missed this. I love performing. I love acting. Changed my major. So instead of minoring in Spanish, I double majored in English and theater. Such a useful degree. <laughs> um, and went all in. And I, I mean, I did a couple musicals. I did straight plays. I did uh, directing classes. Like I did all of it. Um, and I really, that became my thing. And then I was the actress and uh, really enjoyed that through college. I was also, you mentioned dancer. I was in like a dance group in college. So my, my world in college was very performance-based. Um, it was all like, you know, based around what shows am I in? When is the rhythm was the name of my dance group. So when is the rhythm performance? Um, and then, so I did like jump all in on, you know, I went all in on that and then moved to New York the week after I graduated with the goal of being an actress. And that sort of started the next chapter of my life. Um, which I don't want to like, just keep monologuing at you, my story. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> That's what the show is but, all about. I guess it is. So I moved here and I was like, oh, I'm going to be an actress. And it's so funny because, you know, everybody tells you when you decide you're going to do something like that. And I mean, I'm sure you know this as a content creator and like anyone who, you know, is a writer, anything in the arts of mm -hmm. any kind, people tell you it's going to be hard. It's going to be really challenging. There's like this famous saying that people like, if you can do anything else, do it. Like they're like, you should only do it if you can't imagine life not doing it, which is like, I don't know how I feel about that, but I knew that. And for whatever reason, and I think everybody who tries to do it, you're like, oh, but it'll be different for me. <laughs> Certainly was not just delusion. And it's just you as a person, like thinking that whatever. So I moved here and for a full year, I was like, this is it. And I worked all these side jobs, like these, I, I sold jeans at Bloomingdale's, like on the floor was a jean salesman. Wow. which was the hardest job I've ever had, hands down. It was thankless and exhausting. And people are so not nice to people who work in service industries. And mm. I don't get it because they're just trying to help you. So, the, and I mean, Bloomingdale's in New York City, the, it's these like, I don't know, some of the people that came in were so entitled. I mean, it was hard. It was really, really hard. Um, and just, I mean, it's just thankless. What other side jobs? I was a SAT tutor. I wrote social media blog posts for small, for like three different podiatrists. Wow. And I, I know nothing about feet. So like, that was really interesting. Um, I interned at a, at a casting agency. I interned at a production company and I interned at a talent agency. So I had like all these internships. Um, I babysat for families that we knew I wasn't like a full-time nanny. So that part, I had that pretty easy. It was just like families I knew and I would like go over while their kids were asleep 
and they had like a dinner and like order seamless to their apartment and like watch TV. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, like I just, anywhere I could pick up a buck, I was doing all kinds of stuff like that. I had some friends who lived in the city, but I worked weekends and I was, you know, babysitting at night and I, you know, my Bloomingdale's, my shifts would go to in the holiday season, the stores open until I think like 1030 at night. So I didn't have a great social life, um, which I've, I've since learned about myself. That's something having, um, time with friends that is not related to work and creating is really important to I'm learning, but I, I didn't have a great social life. Um, I was pretty like alone because I, you know, I never made, I I just wasn't making friends that I could spend time with that frequently. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was trying to audition. I wasn't getting auditions. Like being an actress is, is so hard because you have to wait for someone else to give you permission. Someone Mm -hmm. has to decide to cast you in something for you to do it. And I was impatient. <laughs> like I didn't want to wait for that. And um, I was auditioning for things that I like really like student films that I really like didn't find interesting or like um, non-union commercials that were like, you know, they, they paid some bills, but you know what, there's something fulfilling there and, and trying to navigate all of that. Um I I mean, I was logging because I was also like walking from job to job to job. And like like, with tutoring, you're at like so many different locations. I, there were days that I would walk 12 miles around the city, just going from one job to the (laughs) next. I know I was in great shape, to be honest. That's intense. Not to like scare anybody away from New York. That is like a typical New York city kind of experience though. Like that is the definition of hustle and grind. Yeah. Oh my God, it was. And it was, and it's funny because like now not to jump ahead, but like, you know, I, I'm this content creator and a comedian and I still have my full-time job and, you know, I'm doing, and people are always like, how are you doing it? You work three jobs. And I'm actually like just putting these pieces together right now on this podcast. But I think if you like talk about comparison, like it's nothing compared to what I did that first year and every job I have, including my full, like my advertising job, my content creation jobs, comedy, like I love them. I love every single one. And so I'm like, who cares if I am tired? When you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work. It, it always feels worth it. Even, you know, don't get me wrong. I, there are days I complain and I'd like to, um, you know, just sit in bed and watch TV, but, and I have something that I have do. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I'm just like really grateful that, the thing that I love to do that I'm passionate about has proven to be a career and that I'm like, I don't know how I got so lucky. A lot of hard work. Also a little bit of luck. Speaking of your handful of jobs that you have now doing everything (laughs) that you love doing before we get into that, which I think we can dive right into soon. What was your favorite play when you were back doing theater? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I was in, hairspray in college nice i was amber she's the the mean one and it was so fun i I just hairspray is like one of my favorite musicals and i i'm not an amazing singer like that's not my strong suit but i love musical theater so much so to get to be in a musical 
at, you know, obviously it's not Broadway, but like in college, there's a little bit more to it than like in high school. And so that Mm -hmm. was really fun. Um, And then I was in an adaptation. (laughs) This is like so nerdy, but it's a Moliere play. He's like a French playwright from, I don't know, I want to say like the same time Shakespeare, basically. And it was a farce. And to be honest, that was probably my first real foray into comedy with the capital C. And I didn't even realize at the time I was a sophomore in college. And I um, got to play the maid, which was like the lead part in the play who was just like orchestrating all this comedy of errors. Mm -hmm. And she was like this badass, actually Kung Fu fighting maid, but her like weapons were like Windex and like a a mop. (laughs) It was just like really fun and silly and like imaginative. And I, I had the best time doing that. Going into auditions, best and worst casting experience. I think the worst experience in casting is, well, a couple of things. One, I think as a woman and I, you know, I sometimes the role descriptions that you get are like topless woman, no lines. And you're like, well, Mm. this is not skill. Like this is, and so I never, you know, would take any of those, but like they pop up all the time and you're like, oh my God. Cause especially at like when you're, just starting out and you're not auditioning for the best projects. There are like mm-hmm. a bunch of like indie films and, uh, and there's not really um, a way to tell which are going to be good ones and which aren't. You get asked some really ridiculous things that are just like kind of degrading and like demoralizing. But then on the flip side, if you do get a, an audition for something legit and it's like, you know, it's like, barista number two in a sitcom or like you know I my the the one job that I got in that year of auditioning was I was the crest white strips spokesperson um but so you get these like but you go into the audition and you read the breakdown of and that's a breakdown is um the description of the character and what they're looking for and you read the breakdown and they're like if it was me right it's like bubbly brunette 20 something like has a you know can do attitude whatever it is and you read and you're like oh my god this is perfect like I am perfect for this role and then you get into the casting waiting room and there are 15 other girls who look and sound and talk and exactly like you and you're like I'm (laughs) this is crazy like I it's just a very um weird experience to be in a room for something that you're like oh I'm perfect for this and then you're like and so are these 15 other people um so that's a weird part of it But it's also, I mean, now auditions, um, most of them happen through self-tape. So you submit a tape of yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to use them now as like, like I'm not, I don't, I almost treat it almost like an acting class. I'm going to backtrack a little, but when I first moved to the city and my whole world was dependent on like, I need to get cast in something. That's how I'm A, going to make enough money to pay my rent B that's how I will know that I am successful at this thing that I've chosen. Like my whole self-worth was wrapped up in every single audition I went on. And it was like, if I didn't get it, that was such a knock against me Mm. as an actress, as a person, as a creative being. And now auditioning and acting is it, it, what, when I got back into this world through comedy, it was sort of like, it came as a uh, in addition to that. And now I'm like, 
oh my God, acting is so fun. I for, I remember why I love this because mm-hmm. the pressure's off a little bit. You know, if I don't get a part, oh, yeah. that's okay. Like I have content creation, I have stand up, I have all these other things that offer something very similar. So now I just use auditions as a chance to, to act and to have mm-hmm. fun and to, to play with new characters and new lines. And I'm finding the joy in it, which I think nice. is nice. So you're currently now getting back into auditioning. Slowly but surely. It's crazy. I started creating on social and gained a following. And it has just opened so many doors that I thought were were just closed to me. Mm-hmm. And it's been so cool to, to have these opportunities again. And one of those is acting um, and getting to audition for TV shows and movies and occasionally a commercial. Um, and, and to do that again has been really fun. When did you really dive into comedy? It took a little bit of time. So basically, I was so frustrated and unhappy with the actress life. And I had always loved writing. So it was I was a writer and an actress. You know, that's what I did in college. And I had done some of that, like, podiatrist social media. And I, I got a job working for Bustle, which is um, it's a blog online or like a website media platform. And that was sort of like the first real job, or I shouldn't say that, uh, take that out. That was the first um, job I had that wasn't part-time. And I really liked it. And I started writing um, more. And and I realized that I personally didn't love editorial, which is funny. I, I thought I would. I had done an internship in college at Cosmopolitan, which was a blast working for the magazine um, yeah. And I, I had written for them a couple times freelance after that. The first published article I had was called a kiss a day. And it was about the health benefits of kissing. So very go. Cosmo. <laughs> what are the benefits of kissing? I have it framed somewhere, but I think it was like the exchange of bacteria, <laughs> like okay. keeps your immune system going. Is it's it? like real, and it, wow. it's gross, but if you need a reason to go make out with someone, Say it's for your health. I really thought I wanted to go into editorial. And I was like, I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to write. But like fun pop journalism, I was never like hard hitting news was not for me. Um, And I took this job at Bustle. And I was like, oh, my God, I I don't enjoy editorial. Because what I didn't realize is when you're writing articles, you have to give someone information. Your job is to teach someone something. And there's not as much room for creativity and emotional writing as I wanted there to be. Um, and it also becomes very repetitive because you're on sort of like a, a news cycle. So, and I remember this from when I was working at Cosmo and talking to the people who had been there for so long, every December, you're going to do a gift guide for the holidays. Every February, you're going to do a Valentine's Day article every summer, you know, summer travel. And I was like, oh, I I just don't think this is what I wanted something a little bit more narrative driven, a little bit more fictional, a little bit more emotional versus like, here's information you need to know. And believe it or not, that led me to advertising. Because even though you are selling a product to someone, which, you know, is, is an interesting place to be. And it's funny because like people always want to skip ads, but when they're done well, a good ad becomes a part of pop culture. Like just do it. 
right? Like that is such a part of our culture. As an advertiser, I would say if it's a good ad, it doesn't seem like an ad. Totally. It feels like entertainment. And I realized that that's what I, I wanted to be in entertainment. And what I liked about advertising was it was entertainment with a stable salary and a desk. <laughs> um, I didn't have to walk from one job to the other five times a day. And I had a lot of fun. I got to be on set. So I, I'm a creative within advertising. Um, I focus, I'm a copywriter, so I'm on the, the writing side. But I got to go on set. I got to make commercials. I got to make long form content for social media. I got to write taglines. I got to write billboards and come up with ideas. And I was like, this is awesome. And I mm -hmm. loved it. And I still do. Um, but after maybe five years in advertising, I really got that itch. Like I said earlier, always been a performer. And I was like, I miss, I like writing. I, I love writing. And and I don't want to do something where I'm not writing. Like, I think that was what was so hard for me about acting was I was reliant on someone else's words and ideas. But I miss getting on stage. I miss connecting with people through entertainment as a performer. And one of my friends, um, this was like right around the time that Marvelous Mrs. Maisel came out. And my friend was like, have you seen Maisel? And she was like, you remind me so much of her. And at the time, my company um, had a like a culture fund for employees where we could take like ongoing education in any kind of class that we wanted. And I was like, I'll take a stand up class kind of on a whim. It was something that I had always like sort of wanted to do, but was afraid to do. But I was like, you know what? I'll take this class. Like, what do I have to lose? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this is this is it. I get to write my own things. I get to be myself on stage, which is fun because I'd always been like a character. Um, I get to get that instant gratification of a laugh. I get to totally call my own shots. I don't have to wait for some, I can get on stage every night if I wanted to in New York and I don't have to wait for somebody to tell me. And I just sort of fell in love with it. And I was like, comedy is it. This is, this is what I want to do. And that's how that started. I'm sure every comedian hates this question. Were you always funny? I don't think so. <laughs> the answer. <laughs> it's funny. When I first started doing comedy, now my my parents and I are super close and we're very honest with each other. And when I first started doing comedy, my mom was like, I never really thought of you as funny. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. thanks, mom. I think what she meant was I was never like the class clown. Like I mm. wasn't telling jokes or whatever, but I always like could make my friends laugh if I told them a story. Um, and when I look back to the roles that I played in plays in college or beyond, the stuff that I was always best at was comedic. And when I looked at my writing and I had written like a bunch of like columns for my college newspaper and then like all the stuff that I wrote for Bustle and stuff like that, the pieces that I always liked best had a pretty funny bent, like a clever bent. So it was never like slapstick, like, you know, SNL comedy when I was younger. You know, I think you you hear some of those people say I was doing impressions my whole life or, or you know, I always got up and told jokes to the family. It was a, a more subtle humor that was like hidden throughout everything else that I was doing. Um, and within advertising, I always trended. I always. Um, would lean toward writing something that was funny versus something that was like heartfelt and emotional. And so I, 
now that I look back and my mom has since said the same thing, like all the signs were there. Um, but I do think it took everyone by surprise when I was like, come see me do stand up." People were like, you? <laughs> I think there is a misconception between being like classroom everyday funny and then being a comedian. Yeah. So being a comedian is very much like a profession. Like it is an art form. It goes beyond yes. just being funny or being clever yeah. or witty. My yeah. question to you is, what's some of the behind the scenes? What goes into stand up, being a comedian? Hours. <laughs> like that's the most important thing. Like to me, stand up is a written is a writing mm. exercise more than a performing exercise. And that might just be because performance is something I always did. So that part isn't as scary to me. But to me, stand up is is joke writing. And mm. that is where the magic happens. A good you know, I know there are a lot of comics who are so charming and personable and amazing on stage, but if they don't get the timing right, get the like down to the word, the jokes fall flat. And so I think what you people don't realize is, and maybe they do now as we like more comics talk about this thing on their podcasts and stuff like that, but the attention to detail the swapping out of one word that makes a joke funnier. Like instead of run, should I say sprint or whatever like that is. And the repetition and trial of that. And there are some comics who can do it live on stage. And I wish I could do that. I think that's so amazing, but I, I write everything out and I say it into my mirror a million times. And I think, okay, what if I, if I say it, at this speed, is it funnier? Or should I punch this word to make it more important? And there's, it's so practiced and good standup seems off the cuff. And that was the hardest part for me was how do I make something that is so rehearsed, so memorized, so thought out, feel fresh every single time I say it on stage? How do I make it feel like it's the first time I'm saying it? I think I'm still working on that, but that, that I think is, is one of the hardest things about comedy. Are you more of a script performer or like an improv performer? So I did improv at Upright Citizens Brigade. I took a couple classes and while it is fun, I am not very good at it. It was very scary to me to go up there and not know what I was going to say, even though it's funny because some people find improv to be much more are much less scary because there's a group of people. And to me, maybe it comes from figure skating where you're alone on the ice, but getting on stage by myself isn't scary. Getting on stage and not knowing what I'm going to say terrifies me. So I, I really, really work on those jokes. And I really, I practice a ton at home by myself. Like I say my set in the shower, I say my set in the mirror, not every comedian is like that. Some comedians really will just like work it out on stage and figure it out. Um, I, I like to know what I'm going to say. Are you like the Jerry Seinfelds and you have notebooks on notebooks on notebooks of your jokes and your sketches or skits? I have, I have a lot of notebooks um, for a bunch of different things. I tend to type out my sets. Um, and keep them like on my phone. I can read mm -hmm. if I need to. I don't like to necessarily, I don't like to go on stage with notes. I like to have figured that out at home, even if I'm going for an open mic night um, to try something new. I prefer to, to know it, but 
I have like a notebook for all my social media content. I have a notebook for my radio show. I have a notebook for like, I working on writing a TV show. So like, I, I love pen and paper notes and I start all my stand up pen and paper, like taking down bullets, but because I like to write it out word for word, just to see where the words are, I end up typing up. Are you so granular that you put asterisk pause hold for a time? Do you do that? No, but I think I know it. And I learned like a, a friend of mine told me that you should um, like wherever there's a pause or like a sentence phrase is a line break. So it's not written like a paragraph. It's written like a bunch of lines. And so then you can see, okay, how many lines between each laugh? Like there is some sort of like, I don't want to call it math, but there is like a alchemy to all of it. Um, so it's sort of like, that's one of the hardest things is like when you're telling a joke I have some jokes that I've been telling now for like five years like the same joke and and it's changed a little bit here and there but like the crux of it is pretty much the same and trying to get yourself to tell that joke in a different cadence you know so that you're not saying everything the same way um sometimes you just fall into these ruts of like I've said this joke this way so many times that's how it lives in the world and sometimes literally just changing where you pause changes the whole joke. So it's interesting how some of that plays in. It's interesting how you speak about it because what you noted when you were a competitive figure skater, is like a routine. You have a five right. minute, six minute routine. You have to fill that space. I think what's interesting is that you have that experience. Correct me if I'm wrong. Do you tie that into comedy now when you have a five minute, 10 minute, 15 minute segment? That's so interesting. I've honestly never thought of that before, but you're so right. Like they're so similar of like your skating program, you're doing the exact same steps, but it changes a little bit every time because it's a live performance. And I feel mm -hmm. the same way about stand up. Like I'm, you know, I have a pretty solid 30 minutes that I've been doing for the past, you know, couple months and it, it rarely changes. Like I don't really re reorganize it. And it, but each time something will happen where like, there'll be an, a line that comes out of nowhere that like, either I'm responding to something that the audience said, or like, you know, I, something that happens on stage changes something or for whatever reason, a tag pops into my head and I just try it and say it which is very similar to the skating experience where it's like, all right, I'm going to add in this extra whatever, because today my legs feel good. Um, <laughs> it's interesting that I've never made that connection, but it's so similar. Walk me through how you read a room. How do you gauge the interest of the crowd? It's hard. I, because I have a social following um, for shows that I'm headlining, I almost can guarantee that 50 to 75%, if not the entire crowd is there because they came from my social. So mm. they follow me. They like my comedy. I posted, Hey, I'm coming to Boston. They're like, great. I'm going to buy tickets. When I get into a room like that, it's very, I know that they're on my side. I know they're on my team. I know that my humor is going to resonate with them. Um, so then I kind of just do my longest iteration of my set, right? Because I feel like all of my jokes are going to, my standup is different than my content, but it plays in the same world. 
So I'm like, people are going to respond to this. They're going to get it. Um, and you just sort of like play around with that. Now in other rooms I've been in, I, you know, can find myself in a room of people who've never heard of me before, which is not hard to believe. I'm by no means famous, but I think that sometimes when I get into those rooms, I have to do a little bit of, as I start to tell a joke, okay, are they on board with this topic? And I can tell pretty immediately um, if the topic is going to resonate with them. And, you know, a lot of my jokes definitely skew like millennial. Um, And so if I'm in a room with a much older audience or an audience that airs very Gen Z, I sometimes have to sort of think like, okay, this joke that I have about dating investment bankers and I'm in a room and everyone in this room is 50 to 60 years old. They're not going to like, they're not going to dislike this joke. They're not going to get it because it's so specific to living in New York city and going on dates with guys who work on wall street. So even sometimes when I go to other outside of New York city, like that joke works in Boston, right? Because there's investment banking in Boston. But when I go to like the suburbs for shows, I don't think it resonates in the same way because it is so specific to that experience of living in a city. And so a lot of times I just try to think about like, okay, where am I? Where is this crowd coming from? What is sort of like their age demographic and their experience demographic? Is it more city or suburb based? Um, Because that helps me sort of say, okay, this joke that I have about growing up in Connecticut. So like when I go to Connecticut, I do probably like five more minutes on Connecticut than I do anywhere else because it's jokes that I think people, you know, if I go to Pennsylvania, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? Like, (laughs) what is this? Um, So it's just, it's interesting in that regard. And then it's, it's a lot of just like listening for the laughs and paying attention. Okay. They laughed at this. Um, I don't have particularly dark humor or particularly raunchy humor. But I do know that some of my friends who do will do like a test read of like a sort of dark joke. And if the audience doesn't laugh, they're like, all right, I'm not going to do my dark comedy. Do you change your set based on where you're performing and who you're performing in front of? For the most part, like the shell of the half hour doesn't change. But there are definitely things like I have a joke um, where the punchline is soul cycle. And I was going to uh, like a, a smaller city. And I was like, you know what? I better, I was like, do they have SoulCycle? And I realized because I, I thought it was a national thing. It's not, it's really like, it, it's really in specific pockets. So I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to tell that joke because they don't have SoulCycle here. They're not going to get it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah. So I definitely do a little bit of that or like, um, like there's a couple jokes where I'll do like some name dropping of like places that like, sometimes I'll be like, all right, what's the restaurant that's most like this in Boston. And I'll change the joke from the New York restaurant to the Boston restaurant. So small minor changes, um, will happen. And like, the, like, I'll just pay attention to that. But for the most part, I, I am not, I do not have enough of a library of my own jokes yet to be able to fill. It it depends if I'm given like five or 10 minutes, I can cherry pick which 10 minutes I'm going to tell depending on the crowd. Um, 
you know, like if it's late at night and everybody is really drunk and it's like an 1130 show, I'm not going to tell my wordplay jokes because nobody's, nobody's going to, they're, they're drunk. You know, they're not going to be listening for the pun. They just want to hear like the, oh my God moments. Speaking of your library of jokes, thinking about your standup and social media content creation, how do you tie into these characters? Is it firsthand experience? Is it researching a stranger you saw on the street? Where does your inspiration come from? What's interesting about standup is versus content creation is I'd say like 90% of my social content, I'm a character. I'm not playing myself. Now that is not to say that there's not a little bit of me in every single one of those characters because there is. If for no other reason than it's my face on there and like my mannerisms. But stand-up is really my own experiences. So I'm telling stories or observations about my life and my experiences um, from a first person POV, which I never do on social. So that's sort of like the biggest difference in when I come up with an idea for a joke, how I decide, is this going to be stand-up or content? I'm starting to find ways to, to mix them up a little bit. Like I'm starting to do a little bit more just like talking on social media about myself. And I've also brought a segment, like a new bit into my stand-up that uses characters because I know that people like them. So I, it's almost like when a comic does impressions, I do my characters. Um, for the characters, it really started from, it's interesting. My first post that went truly viral was Connecticut Girl on a Date. And that was ripped almost entirely from my standup about growing up in Connecticut and dating investment bankers. And I thought, you know, maybe I can make this work. What if I pretend to be Connecticut girl? And I, I, I don't know why. Originally, I was just like going to do Connecticut jokes. And then I was like, I should place her somewhere. I should create a world and make this feel like a TV, cool. like you were watching something on TV. So I was like, where, where is she? What is her environment? And I was like, well, what's a place that everyone has been on that is always a weird place to be a date. So I was like, all right, Connecticut girl on a date. And it was everything she said is a joke that is in my standup, but said it in a different way because it's coming from a character versus an observation or like my experience in Connecticut. and. I tried it and it went viral, hit a million views. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. Well, what do I know more than Connecticut? Well, Manhattan, I've lived here for so long. So I bet I could do Manhattan Girl on a date. So then that one was not pulled from my standup. It was pulled from, I was like, all right, I know Manhattan Girl. I am Manhattan Girl. My friends, I like focused on a couple of my friends who I think were super manhattan and I did that. And then people liked that one. And I thought, okay, well, what else can I do? And I went to college in Vermont. So I did Vermont Girl. And then I did Boston Girl because I knew so many people from Boston. And I understood Boston. I knew it as a place. Also, Boston has a very distinct accent. Um, and it was really fun because I got to make this character out of Boston. Whereas like Connecticut and Manhattan feel so much more like true to my own experience. Can Boston Girl felt like. I was playing a character and it was so fun. Um, 
And so I just started to, you know, I felt like I knew enough about LA. I visited LA enough. I've, I have friends in LA that I could create an LA character. Um, my fiance and one of my good friends both lived in Chicago for a long period of time. So I really tapped into them to be like, teach me about Chicago. And at the time, you know, hadn't even been to Chicago. So that was, that was the biggest stretch that I would do. But again, I had two really close sources that knew Chicago in and out. And I could ask them sort of point blank, like, all right, I'm trying to make a girl who seems very basic, right? Like where would she drink versus like just Google searching like 10 things about Chicago and I guess whatever you'd call them, because then it feels so inauthentic. And so I have sort of made a, a promise to myself that I won't do a character that I don't have firsthand access to. So I would say Chicago. And then I have a good friend who's from Dallas and I reached out to her and I was like, can you help me with a Dallas character? Because I just wanted to try a Southern character. Um, but you know, people ask me all the time to do Philly and I've never been to Philly and I don't know anyone from Philly. And so I'm like, yeah, I could Google a Philadelphia accent and like restaurants to name check. It's not going to feel right. Like, because to me, yes, there is some name dropping of like, you know, places like where you get your coffee or like the popular restaurant. And there's like, you know, talking about like the, the streets that are there or whatever. But to me, the characters are so much more about the things that are unsaid, like the way that they hold their posture and their mannerisms and sort of like certain words they use. Like for Boston, I knew growing up in Connecticut and having friends, I knew people in Boston call a liquor store a packy, a packy or a package store. And so many people called that out. They're like, oh my God, you got packy right. And I would have never gotten that if it, like, it's not something that pops up on a Google search of tell me about Boston. They, you know, they tell you like they love the Celtics. And so, you know, it's funny because I still definitely classify them as like state and city characters. Like I still call them Boston girl and New Jersey girl and all of that. But to me, there's so much, there's so much bigger characters now than their cities as they continue to grow. And I continue to create content around them. Like sometimes I'm like, this almost has nothing to do with the city at all anymore. It's just this character I've created, which I, I think is a good sign. I love your process and how you look at it. That's so Thanks. cool. Yeah. How long were you pushing out content before that first viral video hit? Not that long, which is, I think when I was saying earlier, timing is everything. Mm. Um, I was sort of an early adopter of TikTok. I think I had only seen a couple people do comedy on TikTok before <clears throat> I decided to give it a shot. Um, and I think that that helped me a lot mm -hmm. because I think now there, there are so many amazing talented comedians on TikTok and um, I think it can be harder to break through. I, I still think that, you know, the people who are super comedic and funny, they will break through. It might just take more persistence, but at the time there weren't that many of us. And I put out a couple and then I had maybe like, again, it kind of crazy, but like, number six people always love to get say what would Carrie Bradshaw say and I and I look back at that video and I'm like oh my god it's edited so badly like the sound quality is terrible but it was I think an example of good writing and it was actually something that I had done on my Instagram where I had just like written it out and 
so many of my friends were like, this is so funny and so fun. So I was like, all right, I'll try it. Like, and then I went to bed and I woke up the next day and it had 300,000 views, which at the time felt like, and I was like, what? And so I was like, I guess I, I got to keep creating. And I tried like two or three more things that like didn't do super well, but I felt this like itch and this hunger because I was like, oh, I, I did it once. I could do it again. It's like, I don't know. It feels like this adrenaline high. And then I did Connecticut girl on a date. And then that went super viral. And that, that one, I think would be the, like, looking back at it, I, I think I would say that was my first viral post, but it would have never happened without the sex in the city post. So there was that. And then I did, like I said, I did like Connecticut, Manhattan, Vermont, Boston, New Jersey, what I did like a handful. And then it became really important to me that that did not become my only thing. I did not want to just be the blank on a date girl videos. I wanted to, I felt like I had more comedy in me and more breath and more range. And so I was like, all right, let me, let me make some other videos. So I did one that was called like girl math. And it was all about like, when we are like, all right, if I wash my hair today and then I wait three days, but if I work out, um, and that one did really well. And then I did watching football with my boyfriend because that was my, that was the experience I was li uh, living, we were living together in a studio at the time. And every Sunday football was on TV. And I was like trying to be a good girlfriend and like pay attention. But I was like, I do not know what you're talking about. And I said stuff like, you know, oh, is this guy on your mythic team? And like, this is on for seven hours. And Barstool reposted that and it got like 2 million views. And it was, so that was really fun for me because now I had my character content and then mm -hmm. I had just like general content of being a 20 something girl. And so I felt like I really got to, I just really didn't want to be the girl who could do one thing really well. I wanted to make sure that there was, cause I felt like my own comedy had more, had more to say than that. And so, yeah, and it's it's hard too. I, again, I think I feel like I'm just monologuing at you, so stop me anytime. But no, go ahead. once you've had posts go viral, and then you have some posts really flop, and you probably feel this as a creator yourself, like it, you're like, what the what did I do wrong? And it's funny too because sometimes I I feel like sometimes when I'm convinced, I'm like, this post is so good, mm -hmm. it'll get like maybe a hundred thousand views. And I'm like, what the heck? Like I, and then there'll be something like I'll jump on a TikTok trend that I like put like five minutes of thought into just because I'm like, Oh, this would be kind of silly. And then it got, gets like 3 million views. And you're like, there's no rhyme or reason to this. I learned a long time ago. There's no rhyme or reason to what takes off or what totally. doesn't or what does well or does not. Yeah. So I've accepted that fact. I push yeah, out content. I, I try my hardest not to look at the numbers. I just love the content that I'm creating. Yeah. Favorite character and their environment? Uh, this is a tough, I was like asking you to pick a favorite child. Um, but no, I think it's funny. I, I think I have to go Boston or New Jersey. And nice. the reason they are, even though they both have a piece of me in them, like my Jersey girl, she's very Italian and I am Italian. My whole family's Italian. So it feels, it almost feels like I'm like, doing an ode to my own family when I do this character, which I love. But other than that, these two characters, they are both so belligerent. Like my Boston girl and my Jersey girl, the characters that I've created, 
will say anything. They are like, my Boston girl's always swearing she's angry. My Jersey girl is like, she could fight you. That is not me. I am very much like, oh my God, whatever you want, say whatever you like, totally fine. Uh, no worries. Like that's me as a person. So to get to put on this alter ego that has such, those two accents couldn't be more fun to do. Like a Jersey accent, like what's more fun than that? And to just like kind of yell at my camera for five minutes, like mm-hmm. so much fun. Um, and I think environment, I recently just did a series of all of the characters getting engaged because I just got engaged. So that's fun because it feels like me. But I did a series of them at Thanksgiving. And that was just like, because Thanksgiving, I mean, you got food, you got family, you got fall, you got shopping. Like there's so much to play on um, that those were probably some of my favorite videos. You said alter egos and characters. You have yeah. so many to pull from. That's so fun. I did one post last Christmas and I'm, I'm hoping to do another one soon where I put them all in one sketch together mm. and just like watching all of my different alter egos talk to themselves was like this like weirdly cathartic life experience. It's just so fun. Are you open to hear my content idea? I would love to hear your For content you. Idea. All right. I hope you haven't done this already. Okay, what I think would be fine. interesting is placing a character in someone else's character environment. So you take the New that's Jersey such a girl, good idea. but you put her in Dallas. That's so fun. And you put them in Connecticut. That's such a good series. That's really fun. Yep. That'd be really good. Go. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to take that go idea. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I think that'd be really cool. I do too. Favorite accent is New Jersey and Boston. So that was my next yeah. question. New Jersey, I think, is my favorite because um, they're both really fun, but Boston always gives me a little stress that I'm going to do it wrong. <laughs> like, And don't worry, Bostonians are going to tell you that you did it wrong. They're going to be like, that's not right. Like, They'll be like, you said this one word wrong. Uh, they're, like, Sometimes someone will come and be like, you did a great job, but you said coffee like you're from New Jersey. I'm like, uh. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, th- those are both. Boston and New Jersey are just so fun. As a content creator, do you get caught up on some of the numbers and the comments and the engagement? Do you look at that or do you try hard not to? Um, I definitely look at it. I think it's the advertiser in me where they're like, what's Mm. the learnings? What's the data? I try not to put too much stock into it, but I do pay attention to like, okay, every time I have done X, like every time I do Boston Girl, people really like it. So like I just try to pay attention to like you know when I do content around living with your boyfriend it does pretty well so is there anything else I could do or like I had one post that was like going out in your 20s versus your 30s that did really well and I was like all right if people liked that they would probably like another thing that's like cooking dinner in your 20s versus like something else using that format um but I try not to get too caught up in like the exact numbers and the exact engagement Um, and I read the comments. I do read the comments, which I, a lot of people I know would tell, tell you not to, but I, one, I try to respond to people, uh, particularly when they DM me, but also like if people, like, I like a lot of the comments and then if somebody says something really funny, I'll respond to that. Or like, ask me a question. I try to respond. Mm -hmm. Except people ask me all the time. This is just like something I feel like I need to caveat. People always ask me what my hair routine is. And I never answer (laughs) not because I'm being mean, but because I like genuinely have no routine. So I don't have an answer for that. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I, uh, you know, 
I feel really fortunate that like my fans tend to be nice people. Um, and whenever they come to stand up shows, other comedians always tell me that they're like, your fans are great. Like they're so nice. I'm like, I know they're awesome. Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't some trolls on the internet who, who like to have something mean to say. And for the most part, I'm able to sort of brush it off, especially if it's something like you said the word coffee wrong. I'm like, whatever, find something else to do, dude. Like, <laughs> um, but you know, sometimes people will say something that's like a little bit more pointed or like unkind and that it's hard to shake it, but because it's, it's so much the minority knock on wood in my content, um, I'm able to, to sort of move past it. Content creator and comedian, who is your favorite comedian? Uh, John Mulaney. I think he's brilliant. Really clever guy. I have a lot, so it's hard to pick, but he's, he's sort of been my, my love for a long time with him. Him and Eliza Schlesinger were the two that got me into comedy. Do you look to them for some of your influence into comedy? Yeah, absolutely. For, for stand-up. I, I, it's funny. I still love watching stand-up and I love watching it before I do it, but it's one of those things where like now it's, I can't watch it without almost, I don't want to say critiquing it, but like breaking it apart and being like, okay, Mm -hmm. why did this joke work? Why did they say it this way? Um, which is funny. So I, you know, I watched John Mulaney now and I, I sort of think like, okay, why did he structure the joke this way? Or like, how did he do that? Or like, when did he use a funnier voice or, and just try and, and learn from his, the way that he has written stuff. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's always a fear in comedy about joke stealing. Not that I could steal John Mulaney's jokes, even if I wanted to, but I think someone once said to me, even if someone steals your joke, it's never going to be your joke because you will both tell it differently. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something like John Mulaney and I couldn't be talking about more different things. Like we're just very different people. Um, And, but still I can learn so much from his writing and his sentence structure and how he brings a joke back when he does a callback, how he tells a story um, and take those sort of like what I loved about it and bring it into my own stories and my own jokes. And Sam with Eliza Schlesinger, that's a little different because I feel like my content has a lot of similarities to stuff that I watched her talk about. Like she talked about being a young girl in your twenties dating, which is what I talked about for a long time. And, and so just sort of like, you know, just, just listening to her be successful, talking about an experience that felt like something I lived, I think gave me the confidence to be like, all right, I, I don't have this sort of like weird, unbelievable story that no one can, you know, no one else has, but like people will find value in my experience. Like if they find value in Eliza's experience, then they'll find value in my experience because we're so like, I've lived a similar life to her. So that was really like that, I think, gave me the confidence to be like, all right, people, people want to hear from a girl in her 20s. Do you ever have writers creator block? Yes, all the time. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I, um, I, I feel like it, 
it's like a faucet. Like I either have like 900 ideas and the faucet's <laughs> turned on or I'm yeah. like, you know, blocked up and have nothing. But I do keep um, a running list of a couple notes in my phone because inspiration strikes at the weirdest times. Mm-hmm. Like you'll be waiting for the subway and the person next to you will like have a pet bird on a leash and you're like, there's a character there and you write like bird on leash. And then, you know, when I'm trying to figure out the cadence of like how frequently am I going to post or like, you know, there's, um, I'm like, I really need to film some content today. I don't know what I want to film. I'll go through those lists and be like, all right, what's speaking to me today. And it's funny too, because like ideas, I think you got to do them when the inspiration strikes, but sometimes you have a half an idea and then it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. And then like suddenly like five months later, you finally feel the inspiration to finish out that idea. So, um, it's very like woo woo, but I think waiting till the idea tells you it's ready is always helpful. But then sometimes you just have to sit down and, and force it out a little bit. Like I knew I wanted to do these engagement posts with all my characters getting engaged. And I had like a couple really good ideas for one character or another, but I was like, I don't know what Manhattan woman is going to say, but I know I'm going to do Manhattan woman. So I just like put on my leather jacket and sat in front of the camera. And I was like, here we go. And like the first two minutes is absolutely unusable, but then you warm up and you get into it. And eventually you're like, all right, now I'm in the character. And then you get your content. Last question on the content creation process. Okay. How long do you usually take to curate these videos? Great question. So I come up with the idea and, you know, it's either a new character or a character I've done in a new situation or, just something like I noticed in life, whatever that is. And I sit down with my notebook and I write down 10 to 15 jokes, not scripted. So it's funny. Well, I never improv on stage. I improv on content all the time. So I write down like, for instance, Jersey girl gets engaged. I wrote down like mom concerned about food, uh, 15 bridesmaids, all her cousins uh, got engaged in Atlantic city. Like I wrote down like five things like that, not the script, not the way I was going to say it, but like, these are the jokes that I want to write. So I do that first. Then the most annoying part of all of it, (laughs) I like have to put on the costume for lack of a better term and like put on makeup. And like, that is my least favorite part of the whole process Mm -hmm. is that like, I have to make myself camera ready for lack of a better term. Cause it's usually, I do it on like a Sunday when I want to just like be in pajamas all day, but I'm like, all right, I'm going to make myself look like this character, um, whatever that character might be. And then I put my phone up. I don't film in, I film just like on my phone camera, not within any of the social media apps. And I put it on selfie camera and for a character video, that's like sort of in one place. I just let the camera roll and I improv. And I say those jokes, like wrote down like 15 bridesmaids cousins. I'll be like, well, I got 15 bridesmaids. They're all my cousins, you know, whatever that might be. And then I'll say it like three different ways. And then I'll just start saying to myself, okay, what else, what else, what else? And things will just start flowing out. And those are usually the best jokes. They're better than the ones I wrote down. So I usually have somewhere between like seven and 12 minutes. I feel like is what I walk away with a piece of video. And a lot of that is, um, dead air while I wait for the sirens to pass because New York is super loud or me just going, uh, or like I say each line like six times sometimes if I can't decide how I want to say it. Mm -hmm. 
And then I edit that video on my computer. And I know this because of my job in advertising. I know how to use Premiere, which is an Adobe software. And that is my favorite part of the process. It is the most time consuming by far. And you can spend forever getting it right, right? You can like, I, I literally go back and forth cutting out one frame and putting the frame back in and cutting out the frame and putting it back to get the timing right. Because to me, these compilation posts, these sort of like, cut to get quick cuts of one character is all about timing. Um, and then deciding, okay, is this funnier if I say it before or after you need to joke right at the top? How long is too long? And going through that edit. And that is definitely the most time consuming, the most fun and the hardest to know when you're done. And I've started to get to a point where I've had to be like, all right, this is going to live on TikTok and Instagram after two weeks no one's going to see it anymore. That is the nature of social media. This is not a feature film that people are going to watch. So at a certain point, I have to be like, all right, this is, this is enough. Like it's good enough. I'm happy with it. Could I keep editing this? Probably, but I'm, I'm getting better at being like, all right, this is ephemeral. It's quick. I should just, you know, I should get it out there. Um, then you, you know, you upload it to, I use TikTok and Instagram thinking about starting to dabble with YouTube, but that's a very scary world. Um, and, you know, then you have to, the other hardest part is like, you have to put the text on and the captions and all that. And then you have to pick a cover image, which is just like trying to get your finger to stop at the right moment. And that actually sometimes makes me scream because I get so frustrated that I can't find one. And then I finally post it. That's the process. Wow. That is one process. So that's the thing. Like people are like, oh, it's a one minute video. I'm like, this takes hours. I'm glad that you walked me in for those listening through it because no one really knows behind the scenes unless you tell them. Yeah. So we talked about the process that goes into content creation. I want to talk to you about the process of getting into character and getting ready for yeah. stand up. What is your pregame ritual? How do you get into the mindset of a Jersey girl or a Connecticut girl? And then tying that into comedy, how do you get ready for stand-up? Okay, for characters, it's three things. One, it's what I'm wearing. And that, as much as I said, I hate putting on the costume because I'm lazy. The minute I have that costume on, it changes my vibe. Secondly, it's posture posture and how I'm holding my body and like facial express each character and you probably wouldn't notice it unless I told you has very distinct facial expressions um and ways that like Connecticut girl sits with perfect posture Boston girls like kind of slouchy um Jersey girls always leaning against something like it's these little things that I don't think anyone notices but they as soon as I do that with my body I'm in character and it mm -hmm. changes and then the third one is for my accent characters. And, and every character has a voice that I will do to some extent, like even Connecticut Girl, which is my my own accent. Like I'm not putting any, I I do change the way, like where her voice sits in my, in my register. Mm -hmm. So there are like little changes I do, but for the accents that I have to work on a little bit harder, <laughs> I always, before I start, I have like a couple phrases that I say that help me drop into the accent. Can I swear on this? Yeah. Go for it. Is that cool? So like mm -hmm. when I have to be Boston, I just say a couple of times, I say, Tom Brady, fuck you. Fuck you, Tom Brady. <laughs> Enough times until that accent is in my mouth. And then like 
oh, for sure we're from Minnesota. I just do like, oh, sure, you betcha, like a couple of times until that feels right. And then yeah. any word I say is going to come out in that accent. But so like, if you watch these videos, if you watched the seven minute clip that I filmed, like you'll see me lose the accent and then just be like, for sure, for sure, for sure, like seven wow. times and then start doing it again. Oh my God. The the footage that doesn't make it is probably funnier if you actually watched it. And then stand up, stand up is just so different. And I think like now that I I don't really get nervous too much. Like I always get a little right before I go on stage, I get like a little butterflies, but I I've done my set so many times that I I know it and I know if something starts to fail, I have enough jokes that I can fall back on that I know will get laughs. So for stand up, it's really just like trying to get my energy high enough that I like, I'm a very high energy performer. Um, you know, there's all different kinds. There's some standups who are, you know, more straight faced and that's their thing. And like some who are like more like chill, lean back. I am like, like almost like I'm figure skating again. Like I am like full performance, full energy. So it's just like trying to shake off the tired. Last question for you. We touched on a lot. You're currently yes. doing a lot. You've done a lot. What is next? What do you have going on now? What are you working on? What are you working towards? What's next for you? Well, I just launched a radio show. Uh, it's on AMP, which is a new platform and it's live radio, which is super cool. So that's been a really fun creative challenge for me um, just because it's a totally new format. Uh, and it's like, it's basically a podcast, but it has that live element and people mm -hmm. can call in. So there's, you know, you can't edit things. You just have to say what you say. So that's mm -hmm. really fun. So I'm really working on that and trying to sort of create a brand around that. And it's fun because I feel like it's the most me of anything. Everything else I'm putting out there is either like really scripted or a character or, you know, something that has nothing to do with my own personal experience. And this is a chance for me to talk about my own life. So that's been really fun. Um, and then, yeah, just trying to, trying to write more, trying to write more scripts and, and get something out there. But that thing, that's a little farther away on the, the mm. horizon, but that's, that's my next thing that I'm really excited, uh, to get going. Nice. It's kind of like a new chapter, huh? I was going to ask you about that like yeah. writing, if you had aspirations to write scripts and be like a producer writing and then starring in, or not even starring, just having a small role in mm -hmm. a TV show that that's the ultimate dream i think but honestly it could change like four times between now and <laughs> next week there's yeah. uh, you know i'm just kind of saying yes to everything and finding out which of those things i like the most and then pursuing those i think we can wrap it up here that's awesome cool thank you so much jacob sorry i feel like i talked way too much but i appreciate you listening it was great i mean it's all about your story we touched base on a lot of it and oh my god this yeah. is you and so this is awesome this is really cool <laughs> This was such a great interview. Thank you so much. Thank you again. That's a wrap. I'll do the sign off real quick. Stay tuned. More to come. As always, stay for the stories.